You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael Mann, the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. The annual Catholic Appeal begins this weekend, and on Monday, we had some guests on our Catholic Chicago program who talked about the spiritual and theological foundations for the appeal. Here is a highlight of that conversation. We're going to be talking about the annual Catholic Appeal 2021. The announcement uh, for the appeal is this weekend in your churches, January 30th, 31st. The commitment weekend is the next weekend, February 6th and 7th, and the follow-up weekend is February 13th and 14th. And this section of our show will be welcoming Brendan Keating, Chief Development Officer of the Archdiocese of Chicago, and Father Lou Camelli, a great friend of Holy Name and the Cardinal's Delegate, for formation and mission. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Father Lou. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. How, are How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of the foundation, spiritual foundation of this annual Catholic appeal. But, Brendan, why don't you give people a little bit of background on how you ended up uh, Chief Development Officer at the Arch, your job there, and then Father Lou has been a guest many times here, but give people a little background on how you ended up um, working with Brendan on this. Brendan? Oh, sure. So uh, thanks for having us on the show Mm -hmm. this morning, Mark. Um, So I'm a local guy. uh, I'm from Oak Park, St. Bernadine Parish. Um, Went to Loyola, got my JD there. Then worked at Loyola University of Chicago in, in fundraising and marketing, and I started at the Archdiocese about three years ago and became the Chief Development Officer two years ago. So, so how, been, how's it going? It's it's actually going very well, Mark. Good, um, good. Challenging, you know, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, a, it's, been, it's been a very significant challenge, um, but we have so many wonderful donors um, who've been so generous to us, and uh, especially during these last uh, few months of COVID, um, when our offices shut down in March, there was a lot of anxiety, you know, along with a lot of other people about, you know, what would happen um, to our parishes and schools and to, you know, our very important fundraising initiatives that help to support all the good work at the Archdiocese. But what we've seen over this, this, these last nine or ten months or so is that uh, people continue to be really generous and they continue to support the work of the Church. So we're really grateful for that. And, and it is a difficult job you have, Brendan. I don't know if you know this, but uh, years back, Father Jim Close was head of development communications for the Arch, and he brought me in to work mm-hmm. with him to, to build the office there. And uh, just so you know, you're in, you're in a good space because we had the biggest mistake the Cardinals, it called, was called Cardinals Appeal then, ever made. We mismatched 400,000. Uh, letters to our donors. So it's a tough job. It's, it it it's, is. And, know, but what yeah. happened was he ended up saying after he hit the ceiling, um, mm-hmm. he came back down and said, "Well, now we've got to let people know about this mistake." We went to all the media outlets and they mm-hmm. featured it as part of it, part of their newscast because you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of Catholics. And guess what? The collection went up. Yeah, so, that's terrific. So I asked him, can we do it again next year? He said, absolutely not. It's a creative strategy. <laughs> exactly. Father Lou, what about you? Give yep. people a little bit. Of, our listeners know you, but a little bit more background. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, you know, I've been involved with the uh, annual Catholic Appeal uh, actually for quite a while, going back to Cardinal George. And I, I think the way I'm involved is, is reflective of my, my title, Cardinal's Delegate for Formation and Mission. Mm-hmm. And let me explain that a little bit, because uh, the annual Catholic Appeal uh, certainly has a fundraising aspect to it, and that's really a- absolutely important, because we need funding to sustain the mission and ministries of the um, of the archdiocese and the individual parishes and different initiatives. So that, that's a piece of it. But it's much more than just uh, raising money. It is that, uh, but beyond that and underneath it is uh, really a, a, a sense of discipleship. And both Cardinal George and Cardinal Supic are, are, have both been very insistent that the framing of the whole annual Catholic appeal be in this direction. Let me just give you a quick example that uh, for the past several years um, at Cardinal Supich's direction, we have taken up the theme of come follow me. So it's the call to discipleship. And then each year that's been uh, specified a little bit, come follow me and share the word, come follow me and heal the world. And then this year, a very important theme, come follow me and bring hope to the world. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea is that as people enter into the appeal, it's a chance for them to think, pray, and act. And uh, as they do so, they, they can, can reclaim their following of Jesus and what that means, and then also take up, as a disciple of Jesus, his follower, take up their responsibility. See, that's just really important. So it's not just a personal relationship with the Lord, but if we are in a personal relationship with Him, then we assume responsibility for His Church and for the world at large. In any case, I think you begin to see how this uh, whole thing unfolds in a, a much larger framework. It's about reclaiming discipleship. It's about identifying the ways that we can uh, be responsible and share what we have been given uh, for the benefit of, of others in the Church and in the world, and, and then move forward. Now, it's interesting because uh, Cardinal Supic, as kind of the head, the spokesperson for the whole appeal, has a different, yep. has a different visibility this year to folks with the 930 Mass on Channel 7. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, do you, Brendan? Do you think that will have an impact? Do you, or has, will he next uh, Sunday at nine thirty? Will he be preaching about this to the whole Catholic community that watches? He, so he will be. He will be uh, preaching about the annual Catholic appeal for the next few weekends, mm-hmm. um, and we will actually have a couple of very short videos that will run um, on the on the. Um, February 7th and February 14th masses. Uh, oh, good. So Channel yep. 7 mm-hmm. will dump those in. for. Mm-hmm. It, oh, that's a great idea. And so they'll highlight one of the parishes in one of the schools who receives funding through the annual Catholic Appeal and uh, showcase some of the great work happening at the, that parish in that school. And so, th- so as you mentioned, Mark, this is the, the first time that Cardinal has had you know these dedicated broadcast masses, and um, he's reaching a very significant audience. So the, the past weekends when Cardinal has um, 
has suggested people consider a donation, for example, to our COVID relief fund. Mm -hmm. Our office has received donations from all over the country. So we've received calls and checks from New Mexico and Arizona and Texas um, in ways that we really haven't before. And so we have a potential this year through Cardinals masses of reaching a a much broader audience, a, a truly nationwide audience. So, Lou, as you're looking at formation and mission and you're looking at that broader appeal, uh, does that change how you would approach this? Or are you, you're going to have a wider audience hearing your messages yeah. for the appeal. Well, in, a, in one sense, uh, no, because it, this is, it, it's universal. You mm-hmm. know, I, I mean, with the Pope, Pope Francis, and this is also Cardinal Supic just picked this up in a very strong way. Pope Francis has called us to be missionary disciples. In other words, people who are with Jesus, but also sent from him. And so that's going to apply always, you know, and uh, and I think that's going to be important. But, you know, I also want to underscore the um, uh, the ca- annual Catholic appeal has already extended beyond the archdiocese in its scope, for example, through uh, Catholic Relief Services. Mm-hmm. Uh, its support of Catholic Relief Services means that it helps people who are in critical situations throughout the world and and the whole appeal really is an expression of our communion and connection in the in the body of Christ uh, in our own local church, of course, and in, in especially our connection with parts of that church that are most in need, but also beyond this local church uh, throughout the world. And that's that's a wonderful thing. We begin to to understand who we are and and our. Well, what Pope Francis just recently said in his uh, encyclical, we are brothers and sisters to each other universally. Now, uh, Brendan's going to be with us the whole show. So, Father Lou, I want to get a little more from you. And so I know Greg, you know, has got the hip thing going. So he usually goes out uh, every appeal year in every parish he's been at, St. Mary of the Woods, St. Mary's and Cathedral and delivers the message. Now, I think he's handing that off to, to the celebrants who are going to be saying each of the Masses. He just physically can't do it this year. What, right. What's your message? Yeah. What's your message going to be to the folks? Well, you know, it'll be pretty much what I've just been talking about, you know, trying to set this the context for the appeal as an exercise in discipleship. That that certainly is, you know. and but But this year particularly, the theme is, Come follow me and bring hope to the world. And I'll tell you, in the midst of um, the pandemic, uh, the social unrest, the political transitions, um, the economic uh, struggles that people have, there's never been a time when people need more to hear hope. And we have to bring hope to each other. Yes. So it's and and, and so that's going to be a shaping piece. Um, but I, also, you know, the, the, the Cardinal, through videos and tapes that are played in the parishes, will be communicating that, that message as well, especially on Commitment Sunday. And who thought of the uh, come, how did that develop, the Come Follow Me, Bring Hope uh, to the World? It's, it's the right message at, yes. at this time. But how did that, how did that develop? Well, that was, uh, it was a, a, a group thing that also eventually included the cardinal, I mean, in, in shaping all of this. So 
there's uh, people in the archdiocese, Brendan, of course, and, and others, and myself, uh, working this out, looking at the readings, too. You know, that's, that's important. This is not just a, our own bright idea, but trying to draw from the Word of God and uh, to understand that. And then um, in collaboration with the, the Cardinal, that's, that's how it came about. But when you read the signs of the times, when you read the signs of the times— you understand that there's a tremendous need for disciples to bring hope into this uh, troubled, wounded world. And it's not a we-they, it's an us. Absolutely. Now, yeah. now, we only have, Lou, we only have you for a few, maybe a minute and a half. Can you, in some way, uh, just encourage um, people to how they need to see this appeal as a spiritual, a spirit, part of their spiritual growth, spiritual action. I know you've talked about it, but can you yeah. sum it up? Yeah, well, I, I think it, it, one of the things that uh, I think is really important is for people to take some time, quiet time, and reflect back. And, and first of all, just try to identify the gifts that God has placed into their lives, beginning with the very gift of life itself, and their relationships, their families, the the, the talents and the opportunities that they've been given, and most especially that they have received in Jesus a possibility of forgiveness and new life. And once you begin with gratitude nice. and an understanding of what's been placed in your life, then that's going to prompt generosity and responsibility, and people will move forward. Uh, and then you make a decision about, you know, what you're going to do to bring hope. What kind of word are you going to offer to other people? What kind of action? And also, what kind of financial support will you offer through the appeal that will make a difference in the life of the Church and the life of the world? So it's not an isolated action. It's an action probably in your spiritual life that will trigger other movement in your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Mark. That's just right. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, our daughter um, called me a couple weeks ago, and she's this and angry about this. And I said to her, uh, but she also said she was blessed. And I said, well, yeah. you, have you ever written them down? <laughs> she said, that's right. She said, no. I said, well, why don't you write them down and thank God every morning for the blessings in your life? It sounds like that's where you, that's what you're saying to folks. You're saying, you start know, with gratitude. Start today's, with gratitude. Yeah. Today's the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. You go through his writings. What was it that, that moved him, prompted him? He understood what God had done for him, all his grace. And because of that, he was impelled to go out and do what he did and preach what he preached. Beautiful. He was overwhelmed in the Spirit. Yeah. That's wonderful. For more information about the annual Catholic Appeal and to make a pledge of your own, visit artchicago.org and click on the annual Catholic Appeal tab. Up next is part of a conversation from the Voice of Charity. This week, co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy spoke with their guests about removing barriers to health equity in Lake County. Let's listen in. Throughout this past year, we've spent a lot of time. We've really had the privilege of speaking with hardworking, creative people who are absolutely facing COVID-19 head-on. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that they have gone above and beyond to make sure people have information, PPE, and services that they need to navigate during this pandemic. And we have been so lucky to have many of those folks on our show 
Right. And one of them was, some of you may recall, if you're regular listeners, Dr. Kari Rosita Sheftel, who's part of Catholic Charities, was on the show to tell us about the Association of Latino Community Partners in Lake County. Kari has been working with this group to reach Hispanic residents who have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And so today we're really pleased to welcome Gail Graves and Demetrius Willis, who are co-chairs of a partner organization that is closely aligned with the ACL, which is the African American Community Partnership Group. The AACPG, and I practiced that because it's a lot of letters, is a grassroots organization that was started in June 2020, and its members have been working nonstop since then to help African American residents in Lake County, who also have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And in addition, the AACPG has been working with a multitude of organizations and individuals to educate the general public about the disparities that exist. So all of us can be committed to removing barriers to health equity in Lake County and and everywhere. In addition to their leadership roles um, in the AACPG, Gail is the interim assistant director of the Waukegan Public Library. And Demetrius is the manager of clinical nutrition services for the Lake County Health Department. So not only are they doing this incredible community-based work, they have their own huge jobs uh, within the community. So welcome, Gail and Demetrius. Hello. It's great to be here. Great. Well, we hope you're somewhere warm and cozy. Um, Gail, if we can start with you, how did the African-American Community Partnership Group start and what are its goals? Sure, I'd love to talk about that. So as you mentioned, when COVID first really um, started to hit the Lake County, as with other areas, we really saw that our communities of color were disproportionately impacted. And the Lake County Health Department wanted to bring people together from the community to have some discussions around how and why and what and how could we really stop the spread of COVID-19 in our communities of color. And from those discussions came this concept of really pushing public health down into community-based organizations um, with the idea of doing some specific targeted work to reach Lake County's communities of color. And from that, both the AACPG and ACL were born. And once we came together and we started reaching out um, into the community and looking at other organizations to say, who could we collaborate? What does it make sense in terms of how does this look? And we've been really fortunate to build upon um, what's already going on in the county, but add to that a specific focus on our communities of color, in particular for us, the African-American community. Um, We all have come together and we care about um, our disenfranchised people in our communities and we really want to work together to build and strengthen existing programs. The idea is not to start over from scratch but to make a difference. Um, Our mission statement is we are a community needs driven effort dedicated to helping African American Lake County residents to overcome disparities within our communities. So our first and foremost focus is COVID-19. And as you mentioned, um, three things, the distribution of PPE into the community, as well as developing and sharing educational resources. And we focus on self-help, which is also our mental health, increasing awareness Mm -hmm. on that. 
I mean, I think, you know, we've we've spoken about some of these things through throughout this past year. And I think those things you just elaborated on education and mental health and um connecting with the community really, I think, is most effective done at that grassroots level. And I think you all have done, the, along with the ACL, have been so um, intentional about how you focus and why you focus um, on the things that you do. So, Demetrius, can you share with us some of those statistics that illustrate how African-American residents in Lake County have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19? Sure. Um, well, the statistics are shocking. And what they did for us, though, is define the urgency. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of this, for every white resident we saw who contracted COVID-19, um, we saw four African-Americans and eight Latino residents getting a positive rate. And, of course, the mortality rate was even worse than that, mm-hmm. hugely disproportionate. And now we've moved to every one resident um, that's white that contracts COVID-19, we have two African-Americans and four Latino residents. So for the African-Americans and Latino, you can see we kind of cut things in half. Mm -hmm. And we're not claiming that as a AACPG. What we're saying is all of these great efforts in our community collectively are making an impact and making a difference. In the statistics I spoke of, they cover Waukegan, Zion, North Chicago, Round Lake. So um, the improvement is, is there, but there's still a lot more work to do. Um, Demetrius or, or Gail, um, d- let's unpack that a little bit. What what contributes to those disparities? Um, well, health is not one size fits all. There's so many variables, and you can throw in the lack of ability to travel to testing facilities. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a packed house of individuals and nobody's able to get tested, one person comes home, it just spreads. Um, you also have um, African-Americans are in these essential jobs, grocery store, transportation, working and owning daycare centers, and lack of access to health care, which means underlying conditions that add to more mortality of COVID-19 unaddressed and unmanaged. Um, I would also say that education, and not only literacy, but specifically health literacy, which means the ability to obtain and understand basic health information, all of these things together create a crisis within this crisis. Yeah, and I think to, to your point, you know, what, you, what you're highlighting is, again, things that, that groups like yours and what Catholic Charities and the ACL are, are seeing during this pandemic and things we've already all known, that the vulnerable become more vulnerable and that the disparities that mm-hmm. exist become even more shocking. And, Gail, we're going to turn to you and, and sort of, want to hear from you. you. You described this work as collaborative and grassroots. And who else are you all working with um, as, as you do this important work in Lake County? So we've come to group, come to group, we've come together um, as a group, but we work collaboratively. And so it's really these evolving partnerships and evolving relationships not only um, with our specific members, but also um, allies within the community. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, first and foremost, we have members that work on a daily basis um, that are a part of organizations such as Park Place uh, Senior Center, Cool Learning Education, Sign of the Dove is a local community of faith, Catholic Charities, the North Chicago Rotary, YWCA, and the Chicago Workers Collaborative. 
but we've also developed really great relationships with our local school districts, North Chicago, Zion, Waukegan, and even those within the community of the College of Lake County. So we have representation that our local clergy or laypersons, social workers, educators, leaders of community-based organizations, and healthcare providers, such as um, the Northwestern and Advocate um, and local physicians or providers. Last but not least would also be our collaborative relationship with the Lake County Health Department. While we function independently of the health department, um, we really work close and collaboratively and look at them for um, a lot of our data and information. Mm -hmm. um, and they provided us with a wealth of support as we've reached into the community to get the word out. And, of course, we couldn't do all of this work without funding, so we do have to acknowledge um, we were able to receive a million-dollar grant from the CARES Act funds through um, the Board of Lake County, as well as a grant through the Lake County Community Foundation Emergency COVID Fund. So we've been able to put those dollars back into the community with PPE and education and service. You know, what's so amazing about that and what a graceful way to mention the money mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it's true. There's there's a great deal of will and talent out there to, to help communities navigate this, but it does take funding. So that was beautifully inserted, Gail. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, um, Marie mentioned this um, all good social work and community health work, all good community work is about going out into the community and those relationships. You can't sit in your office and sort of right. make declarations or put out tweets or um, it really is a you go to the library, you go to the school, um, you listen to your neighbors. And I think uh, it's. It's old school in a lot of ways, but the old school has become new school. And when you put a pandemic on top of like that would just be best practice for any community building work you're trying to do. But when you put a pandemic on top of it, it just becomes that much more important. So I think this is just extraordinary. Um, Demetrius, we're going to let you brag. Can you tell us a little bit about what the partnership group has been able to do, particularly for black residents in Lake County? Thank you. Thank you for that question. It's always good to talk about the, the highlights, right, <laughs> or the great things that we've been able to do. So um, I, I will say we are inclusive. So we have been able to help others outside of African-Americans, although sure. our focus is on the African-American community. Really, anybody who needs help, we do reach a hand out to them. We recently helped give away 80,000 personal protective equipment kits. Each kit, so if you picture this nice little wound-up kit, is... 10 disposable masks, two reusable masks, hand sanitizer, and then education about COVID-19 prevention. Um, this past Saturday, we did a Martin Luther King Day of service as the AACPG, where we got volunteers together, and we knocked door-to-door -door on apartment buildings, anywhere we could find people in these little pockets of need. And we gave out 700 PPE kits, child masks, and we gave out thermometers. Yeah. which is something that people kind of forget they may need once, mm -hmm. you know, if we start having symptoms, we need to check temperatures. And we've ran radio spots. So on the local popular radio stations, um, we've been able to have some commercials that talk about COVID-19, um, pace buses, 
bus stops, local newspapers, and we've coordinated mass giveaways with Catholic Charities congregate meal sites where residents now pick up meals. We also give out resources at pop-up markets and drive-up events. So we're trying to be everywhere um, using the resources there in the community, so other organizations. You know, Demetrius, you said a few minutes ago in the first part of the show that you that the AACPG is not claiming the reduction in um, COVID cases, but I'm not sure you shouldn't. Yeah. When I hear all of the things all of you are doing, I mean, I think what a response in the community, what a response to be going door to door, um, showing up for people, passing along in education. I, I I'm going to. I'm going to say you should claim that. So I'm not a health expert. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. I'm just, I'm just um, in awe of the work that you're doing. For more information about Catholic Charities, how they assist people in need, and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. We now return to Catholic Chicago for the next segment. Co-hosts Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi had a conversation with two guests representing the Marianol Fathers and Brothers. Here's the highlights. Deacon Kevin McCarthy, team leader, teacher, catechist for the outreach, and Walter Hildago, mission educator, specialist, promoter. And really the topic is, what is Mary Knoll? So to Deacon Kevin and to Walter, good morning, gentlemen. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you very much, uh, Father Greg and Mark. It's a pleasure uh, to be with you and uh, all your listeners in the Chicago area. And I forgot to tell everybody we are live streaming. Yes. So we'll wave to the camera. With masks. We're on WNDZ. We're, we're socially distancing, wearing masks. And uh, so maybe for a moment, um, you know, Deacon Kevin McCarthy, uh, what parish are you connected with, Kevin? I live in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, and I am at uh, Blessed Sacrament All Souls uh, Parish here in Springfield. And ordained a deacon in what year? Uh, it'll be uh, 10 years this uh, May. Ten years in mail? Okay, so you're a veteran. Yeah. And Walter, where are you calling from? I am calling from the lovely state of New York, uh, Austining to be specific. I'm actually approximately ten minutes from the center, uh, the Marino Fathers and Brothers, the Marino. Now, were both of you hit a couple of weeks ago with severe snow, like to the tune of one or two feet? That big no. storm? No, no is the short answer. <laughs> Good. Yeah, in Chicago, we were hearing about this big storm out east where Boston got about a foot and a half. New York got about 12 inches. And maybe it was, maybe it was more like upstate New York, but, uh, you know, I just thought the East Coast was getting pounded. But maybe, first of all, either uh, Kevin or Walter, first of all, Mary Knoll has done tremendous work for years worldwide. Uh, maybe either one of you. What is Mary Knoll? So Mary Knoll was founded, <clears throat> excuse me, 1911 as the uh, Catholic Foreign Mission Society of America to send uh, priests and brothers uh, to work in countries around the world. Currently, we're working in some 21 countries in Africa, Asia, Latin America. And uh, actually, we have our house of formation right there in Chicago. Um, young men who want to come and be priests and brothers or young uh, women who want to come and be Mary Knoll sisters uh, study there at uh, CTU, mm -hmm. and um, and then part of their formation, uh, besides studying uh, philosophy, theology, is they also do a couple years in one of the countries where we work. Currently, uh, we're sending our men down to uh, Cochabamba, Bolivia, uh, for two years as a part of their training. So 
we go and work with some of the poorest people in the world, you know, to bring the good news of the gospel and also, you know, to bring um, economic relief through a, a whole variety of programs uh, that we help to uh, provide in the various countries. Now, you also do work in the United States, don't you? I remember in high school and college, we went on mission trips. I don't know if you still do, because that was a while ago, but we went to Appalachia working with the poor. Does the Marinos still have missions here, too? Yeah, actually, um, we do lots of work in the United States. We do, and to mention the mission or immersion trips, um, we have a variety of those. I mean, pre-COVID, and uh, hopefully maybe by this summer we'll get back to them. Um, So, like, Walter and I have brought people, you know, to Guatemala, Mm -hmm. you know, El Salvador, uh, we do have trips uh, like every other year to a uh, country in Asia or Africa. Uh, we also bring people down to the border, El Paso, Texas, and uh, Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, uh, understand some of the border issues. Um, so we do have a, still have a variety of immersion trips. And then uh, also here in the U.S., you know, we do um, mission education programs, uh, retreats, uh, parish missions, um, and then we have uh, resources for Catholic catechists and teachers, and uh, maybe Walter would want to speak about that. Yeah, we have also as an extension of the uh, experience of uh, an immersion trip, we try to bring that to life in the classroom through our Discover Your Neighbor program. Um, and, you know, Deacon Kevin and I are just really extensions of that Marino spirit of, of being a missionary disciple. So what does that mean? What does that look like? And most importantly, how can we act out um, uh, on that spirit, both locally uh, but also internationally? Ironically, when I was uh, at Notre Dame High School college prep class of 1971 and uh, decided to become a priest, I remember the three groups I looked at was the Jesuits, looked at Holy Cross, take it back four Franciscans, and Mary Knoll. Mm. I thought it was very fascinating. I decided to stay in the Archdiocese of Chicago as a diocesan priest, which I certainly have no regrets, but uh, I've always been fascinated by the great work of Mary Knoll. Um, how did you folks get involved? Um, well, for me, I, I knew about Mary Knoll in my youth. You know, the uh, Mary Knoll magazine uh, used to be in many, many uh, households across the United States. So um, I had gotten, you know, Marinol resources over the years. And then about four and a half years ago, I, I also was on a Marinol email, email list. And uh, I was working as a uh, school counselor at that point, And they were uh, looking for uh, advertising for someone to do mission education. And that's how I uh, jumped into Marinol full time. How about you, Walter? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I had a feeling you were going to ask that question. Mm. Um, <laughs> Where we are, t- Walter, yeah, we are two tough guys <laughs> that ask the tough questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was literally prepping for this question, um, I thought to myself that it almost feels like every single person that falls into Marino happens to come in at the Kairos moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a shift. Uh, you know, I have an education background. Um, and I was looking for something. I was searching. And as a millennial, I think uh, I was looking for something that can really tap into my gifts. And Marino has allowed for that opportunity for me specifically. So it just fit the the trajectory of my life. Now, for Kevin and for Walter, is this full-time staff positions or is this volunteer for you? 
It's full-time. It's full-time uh, ministry or work for us. And I was going to say, you know, Father Greg, now that you have a new hip, you know, uh, Marinol also takes what we call associate priest for five years. Senior? So, senior priest? You know, Are you talking about senior priest? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you an easy what? assignment, okay? We'll look for an easy one for you. <laughs> not, not, not too many hills. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, what about you? Um, one of the things that you were going to talk about today is that Joy of the Gospel Lenten retreat. And I'm curious, how do people get connected to Mary Knoll? Um, I mean, there's uh, several ways. Certainly, uh, uh, the mission education website that we use is maryknoll.us, you know, so people can look there. So uh, maryknoll.us. Right. Okay. Um, and that is where we have our uh, mission education resources. You know, they can uh, send me an email. It's just, you know, K as in Kevin, K McCarthy at maryknoll.org. One more know? time, Anybody? Kevin. K McCarthy at maryknoll.org. Good. And, and I'd be happy what you about know, a phone? What about a phone number? Uh, the, uh, let's see, I've got two different phone numbers. I'll give you this one, uh, 413 Seven four, three eight six one. One more time. Four one three three seven four three eight six one. What about your bank now, account every- number? You what? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Now everyone in Chicago is going to call me and say, "Who is this?" Now, now, Walter, you said something fascinating to me. This kind of a Kairos moment, your life journey. This is where you are now. So, the mission education specialist. Talk a little bit about that ministry, and I, I always want young people to hear how people get connected to the mission of the church. So can you just give us a little bit more about the position itself, but how did it? How did you connect? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Marino was undergoing a, a huge shift, uh, the understanding that um, the power of the laity and the growing Latino population um, as far as its uh, activism in the church uh, was really necessary. Um, so uh, we needed to kind of remix, if you will, to use the mm. most up-to-beat <laughs> um, terminology as to how we present the, the spirit of, of mission, more importantly, being a missionary disciple. Uh, you know, youth and young adults, especially in 2012 when we saw that huge decline of uh, participation from youth and young adults. I think Mariano was very clear and understood that it was time to transition and up up the ante and how we do things. Uh, and one of those ways is, you know, through our Discover Your Neighbor program and providing like a multi-sensory experience, the traditional, you know, banking system that Paolo Freire talked about, give and take, um, is, is kind of no longer acceptable for our young people. They need a little bit more challenging. Uh, and, and, and now that we're in front of a, a social media sort of like wave, um, how do we better tap into that to uh, do ministry and, and, and be that missionary disciple in 2021? Maybe the uh, question for both of you, uh, both Kevin and Walter, is in all the work you do, uh, how should I phrase that? What frustrates you in terms of what is the biggest myth or something not true about Mary Knoll that you're always trying to correct people and say, it is not this? Hmm. Uh, That's an interesting (laughs) question. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes uh, you know, people think Marinol is some kind of uh, radical group, mm-hmm. and I would say, you know, like any uh, 
religious uh, congregation, you know, with many members. You have a whole uh, range of uh, approaches to the gospel and, and things, um, you know, from uh, the conservative end to the liberal end. So that's sometimes, you know, um, a question I feel I have to, you know, correct. Um, but, you know, Marion Ollers, you know, have been on the front lines in uh, very difficult um, situations in countries throughout the world, you know, throughout their history. We have a lot of, uh, I think it's 13 Marion Ollers who have been killed, uh, and there were, you know, in the past 100 plus years mm-hmm. in, the, in various places that they've worked. Including so El Salvador. Really, yeah. yeah, right. And we just recently uh, had the 40th anniversary of the. Uh, for American church women who were killed Correct. in El Salvador, you know. So, um, really, people on the front lines willing to put their lives out there, you know. So, I, I think maybe that's one misconception that I've uh, dealt with. But, but what a what a w- wonderful testament to the Marinols that basically you're misunderstood by living out the tenets of the gospel. Mm. Uh, right. Wow. Yeah. That's great. You had mentioned early on, Kevin, that you. Um, have candidates for ministry, priests, brothers, ancestors studying at CTU. How, how does the vocation picture look for the Marinoles? Uh, actually, things have, uh, I've seen in the last few years, have become uh, much more positive for us. We now uh, accept international candidates, uh, but only from the places where Marinole works in other countries, and they have to be known, you know, to local Marinolers there. So we have a number of uh, uh, men in formation now from Kenya. We have uh, someone from uh, Singapore, you know, uh, obviously, as well as uh, candidates from the United States. So do you have so, uh, seminary or formation ho- houses in those countries, or does everybody come here? Everybody comes here. We have like a pre-formation house in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, um, but everyone comes here to do, uh, you know, theology and, and for some also uh, philosophy. But they also become yeah. religious brothers, correct? Right, we have Marinol brothers. Marinol yeah. brothers so, and religious and, sisters. Right, right. And we also have Marinol lay missionaries who... Now say more about uh, that. Yeah, Yeah. so Marinol lay missionaries, um, if you know the language of the country where you're going to serve, it's a two-and-a-half-year commitment. If you don't, it's a three-and-a-half-year commitment. But they come to Marinol, New York, for ten weeks of formation uh, before they're sent to the country, and then some, you know, then go and... Uh, to study the language first and then enter into the mission work. But uh, we have some Marinol lay missionaries who have served uh, literally 35 years. Um, they just keep renewing their contracts. In so, a particular country, I'll, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, others just come and, you know, uh, do the, you know, two or three years. But there are, we have a, a number who have, you know, served many, many years with us as lay missionaries. So, so if Tom Jones or Mary Smith were interested in becoming a lay missionary they would contact you and study and then go to a particular country for two and a half or three and a half years. Right, yeah. That's amazing. And uh, but, but like you say, many have renewed up to 35 years. Yeah, that's no. really been a, quite a commitment. Um, and the thing I want to emphasize, too, is, you know, <clears throat> to be a missionary, by, by virtue of our baptism, we're all missionaries. Mm-hmm. So we think of, you know, the missionaries are the priests, the brothers, or the sisters, or these lay people, special lay people. But it's by virtue of our baptism that we all become missionaries. And as Pope Francis says, anybody who knows the love of Jesus, right, you don't need a fancy degree or anything. You know the love of Jesus, you know, then you go out and spread that love. So that's part of, you know, the message that we, uh, Walter and I, teach here in the United States, too. 
this is, you know, mission isn't, uh, Pope Francis uses the word missionary disciples. We're all missionary disciples. And as a deacon, you know, I say the last words at Mass. You know, the Mass has ended. Go, go love and serve. Mm-hmm. And people, people don't understand they're sent out in mission to wherever they live. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. now I want to go back a little bit to a word that Walter used that reminded me of our son, who's a millennial, remix. You said we have to remix. Um, do you remember that, Walter, that you used that yep. word? That's probably part of, kind of, part of how you see the future for, for Marinol. Uh, what do you see in terms of this millennial population and, and their commitment um, to service, to ministry? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, excellent question. Well, I see a lot, but let me speak on Marino specifically. We we wanted to be more proactive than reactive. Uh, we know that Mary Press kind of did uh, some research and work on the millennials who left the church, but we did our due diligence, and, and we started a, a young adult empowerment group um, based in uh, five different regions, New York, the East Coast being one of them, to try to meet, meet them where they are, um, and especially now since... Uh, you know, uh, church is looking a little different because of the obvious reasons. How do we continue to cultivate that demographic? So a lot of them uh, are really um, looking. Uh, mm-hmm. Despite the the lack of attendance, there's a high rate of seeking and searching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of tools at, at arm's length. Uh, of course, the Internet being one, and that has its pros and cons, but we're definitely starting to see a sense of um, searching and seeking. And with the high rates of kind of depression, anger, suicide among youth and young adults, it's better now more than ever to kind of remind them that they do have a, a mission and a purpose in this life, starting through their baptism. Here's a reminder that you can listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.artchicago.org. That's radiotv.artchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So please subscribe today. For our final segment today, Catholic Chicago co-hosts Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi focused on mental illness awareness. Here's a highlight of that conversation. Deacon Tom Lambert. Yes, how are you? Good morning. Who's co-chair of our Diocesan Commission on Mental Illness, and Deacon Al Sadivi, member our Diocesan Commission on Mental Illness. Morning. Welcome. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Al. Good how morning. are you? Good. We're good. I'm good. <laughs> now, Al, what parish you belong to? Uh, St. Mary the Annunciation up oh, in Mundelein. With Jerry oh, Jacobs, sure. Father Jerry Jacobs, huh? Yep. I've known Father Jerry for... <laughs> Many, many years. One of my students, uh, when I was dean of students at the college In seminary. fact, uh, Tom, you were ordained a deacon in what year? 1983. And how about you, Al? Uh, 93 for me. 93. Oh, we've got two, uh, two vets here, two veterans. And <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> Now, I know, Tom, you've been doing this work for years for mental illness awareness. Yes. And uh, maybe give us, with the work you do, how did you get involved with this and what year was it? Well, um, my wife and I got involved back in the late 1980s. Um, we, uh, our oldest daughter has a mental illness, and um, so we were looking for resources, and we found that there, when we looked to the Catholic Church in terms of resources, there weren't any. So um, we got involved in NAMI, and I later became the state president of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, 
Um, and they said, you're a deacon, get the churches involved. And so what we have done over the years with Al and others is um, develop resources and uh, workshops and parish presentations on uh, pastoral care of people with mental illness and their families. So um, it's been a long journey and a wonderful journey. Well, you've made a tremendous difference. And Al, how did you get involved? Um, started with uh, my diaconate training, and, and, you know, one of the things that the deacons have to do, I think it's at the end of their second year, is do some field work. And so um, I volunteered to go to Chicago Reed Mental Hospital. That's the old Dunning sure. mm-hmm. uh, up around uh, Oak Park and Northwest Highway. And um, I uh, did five or six weeks there and uh, found it to be a very rewarding experience. And so after I was ordained, um, the chaplain there called me and said, uh, you know, you did a good job while you were in training. We'd like to have you come back. So I did, and I worked there for on his staff for about 20 years. Wow. How did you folks connect? Well, uh, we are, we've been on the commission uh, together. I know of Al's work, and we did... My wife and I and others did training in the diaconate uh, in the formation program for about 10 years, offering a workshop to all the deacons and Al and and some of the folks going through that at the time. uh, We got to meet them, and then, you know, he's been part of the commission for all these years. I have to share this. You know, there is such a stigma to this day regarding mental illness. I remember when I was a boy, you'd always hear in a very negative way, oh, we're going to send you to Elgin, we're going to send you to Dunning, you're going to throw the key away type of thing for people. And, there, you know, you grow over this mentality of thinking that mental illness is something so awful, but there's such a stigma attached to it. Don't tell people you've suffered from depression or you're on medication for depression, whatever. Do you, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but do you find, uh, Tom and Al, there's still that stigma connected with mental illness, or is that has that been changing? It's well, been improving over the years, Uh like most uh, things, that, uh, when people make fun of something, it's because they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And uh, stigma with mental illness, many people believe that mental illness was the result of some weakness in their personality, and uh, that's obviously not the case at all. And so many of our programs have been trying to break down this stigma and make people aware of what mel- mental illness is, and uh, we tell, you know, people, you have to educate your kids to end this stigma. You wouldn't make fun of someone uh, who has a physical disability, and just like you wouldn't do that, you don't make fun of people who have a mental disability either. Now, how do you, so many families are dealing with someone who is suffering Absolutely. from mental illness. How do you move someone, hopefully, toward a diagnosis so they can get help? Well, that is one of the uh, uh, difficult ones, is um, helping people to under... Well, first of all, I think what happens is, um, if we talk about in parishes what mental illness is and take away the fear factor, like Al was talking about, and that um, we create a safe place for people to talk about the illness, then it makes it easier. One of the the reasons the... um, the American Psychiatric Association, so on, will say the reason people don't get help is the stigma. So that if you make it, well, this is not, you know, something only you are going through. It's something that 
a lot of people are going through, and a lot of people are getting help. So you point to the success stories where people have been helped. And I think if we've learned anything over the past year with COVID is that we're all on that spectrum somewhere, you know, with anxiety and depression, and we go up and down. And so people, some people suffer, you know, the other end of that, you know, or the the far end of it. And um, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's it's nothing that is uh, so unusual, you know, that we all go through it to some degree. And and it's better to obviously uh, get help for that earlier than later. Hit it right on the head. As we talk about mental illness awareness. I think we're talking about it, um, and how can the church respond in terms of pastoral ministry? It says important. It says important uh, a ministry as any ministry we would have in the church, because many people suffer through mental illness. What what is mental illness, guys? Well, let me say first what it's not. It's it's not a cognitive disability. Uh, uh, what it is is uh, an illness of the brain, and that's not surprising. The brain is the most complicated organ that we have in our body, so mm-hmm. it can go awry just like any other organ in, in, in the body. Um, there's different types. Um, anxiety disorders are the, is probably the most common, and then there are some more serious types. Some could even be chronic, and that would be like schizophrenia, bipolar, which is manic depression, and then uh, severe depression. And um, these can be chronic. Um, many disorders are short-term. Uh, in any given year, one, or, one in four people can be affected by a mental illness. And um, these could just be anxiety disorders like we talked about with COVID. It could be mild depression, uh, grief over the loss of a loved one. Um, so there's, there's many common types that can be um, helped with therapy and some medication for a short period of time. The chronic disorders uh, are obviously much more serious, and um, that uh, is about 4% of the population, and these usually require long-term counseling and sometimes a lifetime of uh, medicine. And um, these are much more serious, but again, it's a small part of the population. Now, then, along, along those lines, Tom, first line number is 312-255-8408. 312-255-8408. If a listener has a question regarding mental illness, now is the time to call. Uh, Tom, since last March 14th, we've been dealing with COVID-19. Stay at home. Things were shut down totally, including the church from March 14th until June 15th. They opened up a bit in the summertime, got tough again in the fall, winter. Here we are now approaching February, almost 11 months later. We're still battling COVID-19. Are you finding the stress level higher than ever among people because of COVID-19? Yes, definitely. I think that is um, for all the reasons you just mentioned, you know, that we're not, we're not in our normal routines. We're not uh, able to get out and, you know, maybe go to a restaurant or go to, like, I miss going down to the art museum and, Uh, things like that. So um, I think there are steps you can take. And and one of the things in terms of the church, like we've got uh, now we're once a month have a a monthly prayer where we use Lexio Divina. And we do that uh, using Zoom. I mean, uh, I never heard of Zoom a year ago. And now we're doing it all I thought Zoom meant a fast car. (laughs) Yeah, right. So... uh, 
we have this monthly meeting that anybody can uh, tune into, and we pray together and connect together. And that's one of the biggest healing things that we do is connect with each other. Um, so I think, you know, there's what I recommend for people who are going through, you know, some of the anxiety and so on with the COVID is that to first recognize that, um, you know, our mind, our body, and spirit are all connected, and we are spiritual people at the root, at the heart, especially with our Catholic faith, that um, so the anxiety can result in muscle ache or other things. Uh, if you're feeling depressed, you may not feel close to God. So it's connecting with others. Um, so, you know, we do morning prayer, the meditation on, you know, uh, we have a each day prayer on our website that uh, people can use. Um, and then say, what am I grateful for? What are the blessings I've experienced? I, I think my wife and I, you know, one of the things we often say is that this summer we took lo- long walks uh, by the lake and um, we we saw these butterflies, monarch butterflies, that I hadn't seen since I was a kid, you know, but we would stand there and stare at them. So it's what, you know, what are we learning about ourselves during this time? You know, what are the positives? And, um, things and, they, like were, that. and they were always there, those yeah, butterflies. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. But now maybe we have this, uh, you know, I don't wish the COVID was here, but, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there. Um, there's always a two edges to the sword, right? So maybe there's mm-hmm. an opportunity there to understand uh, that we've been at such a fast pace, it's time to slow down and enjoy some of the things and that are... And make some changes in our lives. Right? Yeah, exactly. and, and how can I help others? You know, acts of compassion, calling somebody who we may know, you know, that's that's going to be helpful for us to do, and it's going to be helpful for the person we're, we're, we're doing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd like to say is, what makes you laugh? You know, mm-hmm. uh, what brings joy to you? What brings a smile to your face? You know, and the maybe Chicago it, Bears <laughs> make you laugh. <laughs> well, laugh. For, for, yeah, for some that may not bring a smile <laughs> to your face, though. But uh, I know somebody who watches the old uh, I Love Lucy reruns. You mm-hmm. know, so there's there's things I think we can do that take positive steps. Deacon Al, can you talk a little bit about that five week peer support program called? Mental Illness with Grace. Sure. Um, what we decided to do, uh, a number of deacons got together, and we put together this program, uh, and we said um, we need to get the word out to um, make people more aware of mental, what mental illness is and to uh, uh, promote acceptance of people who have that illness and then figure out a way to uh, accompany um, folks who suffer with this illness. So we put together this um, five-week program. It, it usually starts with uh, a number of weeks of bulletin articles and then usually a homily to get the, the assembly interested. And then we come uh, in this five-week program and we, we cover the impact of mental illness on individuals and families. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass Online by visiting our website, artschicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. 
I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everybody. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.